0: Hello, welcome to episode number 177 of the MagLife podcast. I'm Daniel Shaw. Here in a second, I will play the recording between myself and one of my favorite voices and people out there who are always on the front lines of the Second Amendment fight, Dwayne Liptek. He also happens to be the executive vice president of a company you may have heard of, Magpul. Dwayne's audio is a little bit choppy. As we get started, then it gets a a lot better, but it's never going to be perfect in this episode, so I apologize ahead of time for that. We start off talking about new products that Magpul has released because they released a lot of new, really cool stuff this year. Uh, Then we get into some stuff that's really important to every armed citizen out there and person who uh, wants to remain free and remain having the ability to themselves and uh, right to keep and bear arms and all that good stuff. A really good conversation of how to deal with the new people coming in that don't really know our terminology and our culture and everything. So uh, Dwayne is always a voice of reason, always speaks from a really good place that is kind of puts the community first and not try to propel himself like we see a lot of times out there on the internet. So uh, without further ado, here it is. Hello, welcome to the Magalife podcast. I'm uh, continuing our shot show coverage or not shot show or virtual shot or whatever it is we're calling it right now uh, for 2021. Uh, one of the biggest companies out there in the firearms industry had one of the best product releases that I saw in a while. They took over a whole week of the calendar uh, with, with cool product releases and, and stuff that people actually care about. And uh, that's Magpul, of course. And with me right here. I've got the executive vice president. Is that right? Yep. Of Magpul, Dwayne Liptak. So Dwayne and I, we're both Marines. So we got that going on. And uh, we crayons and, and make fun of each other and stuff, that kind of thing. But I, I don't know Dwayne really well. But we, we drank a couple of beers up at um, National Patrol Rifle Conference a couple of years ago. And uh, and Dwayne told me his story. So And, and I'm not going to get too into that story because we're going to talk about Magpul and the product release and all that stuff. But I I do plan on having Dwayne on later on, in uh, in the future to talk about a little bit of his, his story and how he got to where he is right now because it's very interesting. Yeah, he's the only the only pilot that I know that doesn't care to fly. Came a pilot because he likes to fight is what he told me, and I I've never forget that. That was a, a great mindset, very descriptive. Thought that was awesome. But uh, he Dwayne is if you don't if you've owned any forums out there uh, some of the more switched on guys some of the less switched on people some of the new shooters some of the, the you know Second Amendment fight Dwayne takes a stupid amount of his personal time and goes out there replies to people informative not self serving not trying to get more follows not trying to create anything trying to help people with good information so as far as leaders in the farms industry uh, in my opinion. Dwayne is is at the top or near the top right now. But Without further ado, uh, Dwayne Liptak, how are you? I'm standing. Great day in Texas. I I love Texas. We got here last February, and uh, of course COVID, everything shut down. Didn't really get to experience too much, but uh, uh, it's a little bit colder than I would like it to be right now. But uh, other than that, but well, you're down in Austin, so it's like it's probably a little warmer down there sometimes. You know, but, uh, a little further south, not too much. But Dwayne, not going to take too much of your time today. We Magpul had a lot of new products jump out, and um, I just wanted to, to talk about a few of those really quick. You know, the one that that really most interests me. We'll jump right in. Is really the Mbus threes, the sites uh, that you have, and because I I've used you know your, your backup sites for a long time, you know, and I refer to them as backup sites because that's what you kind of do them. You're named that way. Uh, I'm usually running an LPVO or or a red dot. I found a couple of issues with with them over the course of the years, and I, and I don't think I'm the only one. You know, and, and that, that's why I'm wondering. I my mean, kind of my first question is in those Mbus sites, what, are there any direct problems or you know certain things that that maybe you improved on those over your previous designs, and, and kind of for what
1: reasons? Point was kind of
2: one uh, an inline update to the Mbus concept, you know, the, the polymer backup site, very value price but feature rich. Uh, so it's just kind of bringing that up to date in general. Uh, the other was it kind of splits the difference. You know, there's expectations for more people are, you know, deciding to, to go without. They don't, they don't need backup sites. I, I still like the idea of backup irons for just about everything. Uh, just I'm a, I'm a belt defenders kind of guy. Um, but the, the previous, uh, backup sites, the, 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 the M buses, as far as the polymer sites, durable. Self deploying, all that stuff, uh, and, and certainly accurate because of the fact that the spring tension turned them to the same point every time, very unlikely to be deflected, that sort of thing, because the polymer was flexible rather than bending, which, which some uh, aluminum sites would like to.
1: But they were wide, right? So the little ears got
2: in the way when you tried to, to, to mount lights. Uh, the overall footprint was relatively wide, the overall footprint was relatively tall. If you wanted to go with a, a tandem siding arrangement, or an LPVO, uh, <laughs> Yeah, unless you run in a 1.9 free mount, then you eventually could run out of room to put the, the MBUS Gen 2s underneath there, and you'd have to go with the Pro, which is there's nothing wrong with the Pro, and I love the Pros, I put them on almost everything. But, um, you know, the, the price point's a little higher, right? And some guys just can't get there with uh, the idea of the likelihood of running backup sites at this point, or needing to employ those backup sites uh, at this point. And so we wanted a more value priced option, but we wanted it to be more feature rich and split the difference. So we got rid of the tool uh front sight adjustment, right? That's a big one. So the M bus pros the front sight with the with the wheel. The fact that you can switch the uh front sight post from a national match width to a to a standard width, if you want a finer or more coarse uh site picture. We we included that. So all your your elevation adjustments and wind adjustments now are done completely tool with. That was a big one. We wanted to keep the self-deploying feature of the uh, the bus Gen 2, but we didn't want to deal with the ears uh, anymore, and we wanted to make the things more compact. So the whole mechanism was changed, uh, essentially, but you still get the same feature. So you can pop those things up real quick just by stabbing the fronts of the mounts. Uh, they'll pop into place, spring biased, uh, so you get that same return-to-zero kind of accuracy uh, and consistency. You know, they're, they're much slimmer, so they work with lasers and lights much more effectively. Uh, Easily, effectively, without having to do accommodations or trim ears, or use different mounts that you know you're compromising your light or your laser placement due to your backup sight, or compromising your backup sight placement due to your lights or your lasers. So you have a little more room to be able to do those things. The other thing was, uh, yeah, rear aperture selection. The way the rear aperture selection was kind of required grabbing it with a fingernail, so really unlikely to be able to do that um, real time on on the clock, as it were. Uh, and now this we have a, an aperture that that flips uh, rotationally 180 degrees held by a detent quite sturdy uh, and it's actually biased so that when you flip it uh, it doesn't actually shift along the windage screws so that uh, because they're offset when you flip it up it's in exactly the same place as what the other one was where you know normally rotationally would kind of bias by half a thread uh, so all those things are kind of the improvements and then you know just Polymer uh, technology, as well as, you know, what we understand about, uh, you know, mold flow and some things like that, they're actually stronger.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because I have I run pros on my rifles. I have ran into a an issue with them under a very, very strange circumstance, under a very limited circumstances that I think most people would be very unlikely to find themselves in. I am personally unlikely to find myself in. One of the things that I liked about the uh, original, the, the not pro, the embus um, is they were a bit more positive when they were in the up position. It, it was difficult for those to, to, to go, to close, to lay down. The pros, when I'm doing, for example, my patrol rifle problem solver class with SWAT cops, and we're shooting, we, we got one arm down, we're sideways, we got, we're resting muzzles on our, our legs, you know, we're not muzzles, but barrels, you know, we're, we're just trying to find a way to fight, you know, in, in very awkward situations. Um, I, I see a lot of cases where running pros, myself demonstrating and, and other people uh closing that down. Like so it, it begins to collapse. And because it seems like the the spring tension in there, once it reaches a certain point going backwards, it helps it close down. Um and I'm wondering if uh, there's some kind of uh if, if we address that or if there's anything a bit more positive spring to hold it up in these new sites. That's what I was I was mostly excited about these new
2: sites. Spring bias in the up position, just like the original. So there's a benefit there in that if you do knock the site down, unless you knock it the whole way down, it returns to its upright position. So that that is one of the challenges when dealing with the pro and and, and with the uh, the footprint that we have there. There's uh, you know not enough room to put a uh, as positive of a, of a torsion kind of spring arrangement like we have in uh, the uh, the M and now the the M Gen three. Uh I do like the detents on the detents on the pros are extremely positive and they are biased in the up position to a little bit. But you are right, once you go over center on that out of that detent, then they will you know bias in the opposite direction. So that is something to, to keep in mind. There's a, a little bit of a price to pay for the durability. The profile is great. That's why I love you. You can't beat them. You're not
0: there until you
1: need them. Yep. They disappear on the rifle, right, which is fantastic.
0: These 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 MBS threes look like a great compromise in that. I'm showing it right now. So, uh, all together. All right, awesome. You know, there's there's some stuff out here. The this is I, I really liked your video uh, on the the 10:30. Your PMAC. I, I'm not going to ask a question that somebody wanted me to ask. Like, what took you so long to get in the 10:30 game? I'll say that because you know us at, here at Gun Mag Warehouse. You know, we we really do magazines. We're stepping into a lot of other stuff and, and diversifying a lot. We're into optics and all kind of stuff now. But California is is our best our best state. We move a lot of magazines to California, and when well, we've had the California Rumspringer, you know, everything that, that happened, and we got to send them magazines for a while, uh, they were very appreciative of it, and, you know, we worked really hard to get them all the magazines. I, I did the math. We increased the magazine capacity of California by a few uh, a million, and it uh, that, that was awesome. So that 1030, what, what I liked about your video was like you were you were talking about your product, but you're like, hopefully this is a product we can discontinue because we don't need it anymore because uh, we, we would like for you to get real magazines. Um, but really, I will ask kind of that question. So why now, why did we wait this long, you know, and now get into the the 1030? And those, for those out there listening, you know, some states out there, California being one of them, some regions do not allow magazine capacity over 10 rounds for their uh, rifles, magazine-fed rifles. So you have to have the 10 round. You can do that through limiters, through rivets, through some other things that people do out there. But this is a, a factory ten thirty. Uh so yeah.
1: Uh why? Why now? Well you know, we make a ten round solution,
2: uh, and like okay, that 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 fills the bill. But there and we knew there were some compromises there because the you know, handling trying to if you're if you're training with a ten rounder and you have some you know pre-bands or you travel to another state and you employ uh you know thirty rounders there, whatever the case may be. Uh, you're, you're stuck with, without the correct manual of arms because you're not used to you're used to handling little tiny magazines that just aren't ideal for for uh, that kind of manipulation. And the aftermarket was was you know solving the problem for us to some extent, but it was you know put a rivet in the back here, limit the travel by some mechanism, uh, you know rivet the floor plate, whatever the case is. There's a various mechanisms by which other folks were taking our magazines and modifying them to, to go into other states and it's it, it, we didn't like that from a perspective of you know what we we need to get around to providing a factory solution because there is a viable need there uh and and we understand that uh it's not something that we certainly uh like we said in the video that we we, we like the idea we don't like the idea of hey we've got to make this and the 10 rounder is great for bench it's you know a lot of hunting situations that kind of things but the, the 1030 is truly a legislatively based product there's some mm-hmm. like, thing to exist other than the fact that somebody has decide, decided that you don't need more than 10 rounds in your magazine which is absolutely ludicrous and you know, unconstitutional so we hated the idea of, of supporting that mentality but reality is we're we're not doing supporting that mentality.
0: yes yep us being very intimate with uh you know california gun owners and their issues and, and we support some organizations in california because we we as our thats our social responsibility, in, in my opinion, um, or corporate responsibility, as it were. The um, so we 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 deal with them all the time. Their customer service on Instagram, on Facebook, on we interact with them constantly. So I think I, I have a good picture of of how they feel and and what they're they're thinking. And you know, most people would look at this and I'm like, "Oh, that's stupid." And like, why well, would my Magwell do that? But people in California are like, "Thank you." This is great. Now I don't have to buy two things. I don't have to do three things. I don't have to do that. I can get the best magazine out there on the market, and it's already you know legal for me. So it's a it's a big deal for them, you know. And it doesn't seem like much to anybody else, but it but it really is. Top five of
2: our states, not as far as uh, sales. So I mean, it's uh, it's it's up there. It's, it's a big buyer.
0: Here, here's a general question, Wayne. Right? I'm looking at your products right now. I've got them up for. You know, everybody see. Let me see and tweak that a little bit so everybody can see. You know, we've got the uh, the sites. Got an extra large grip for people that got big old hands. You know, we got more stocks. Uh, your your bipod, uh, rail grabber. You know, at a time right now with everything going on, you really seem to be maybe diversifying a bit more. Is that uh strategic? Is that uh, you know, you have the capability, so you're going to do it. I like it because I haven't ran across anything that you've made yet that's like garbage. So. Uh, uh, what's really the thought process by that? I guess from a uh, company vision, uh, there's uh, and, and
2: there's there's a, a, I guess a, a ton of reasons for it. Uh, one is there's there's the bigger world out there in the firearm space. Certainly, even if you just look at the firearm space. Uh, so, and we we're shooters. We don't just shoot ARs. We don't just shoot AKs. We don't just shoot shotguns. We don't just shoot bolt guns. We shoot all those things, handguns and the whole deal. And you know, we're enthusiasts in the entire space. And when we have the capability to bring some value to anything out there, you know, if it makes sense from a brand perspective, or we can, you know, make it make sense from a brand perspective, uh, we're going to take a look at it and see if we can if we can do something. Else. You started
0: out making rubber things that attach to magazines, right? <laughs> so we kind of came a long ways. Where you can go pretty much anywhere from here. Yep.
2: And that's then that's exactly it. I don't want to feel limited by like us being, we're not we're not a magazine company or're not a you know a stock company or, or or anything like that. we're a firearms accessory company we're you know we're we're a design and engineering and manufacturing company uh above all we're just super super excited about the firearm space and always will be um there's other things that we've dabbled in certainly the you know and and when you look at something like the apparel mm-hmm. the deviation to apparel and we thought we could potentially bring some value there. And the, the market's kind of changed. Awesome. We're bringing that to market as far as, uh, you know, perspectives on how uh, people in our industry were viewed. Uh, even not it was great prior, but uh, so that uh, that kind of changed that and, and, and soured us on on that aspect of it. But it, there was a strategic reason for that as well. As we could see that coming. And that's, to some extent, eyewear and some other things like that. I can talk about eyewear on... Uh, any platform I want to, I can push ads that put the Magpul brand out. There. Yep. Um, for our eyewear products, and they they can live a lot more places and familiarize people with the brand that would not have otherwise been able to be exposed to it or, or hear about it, and uh, then um, maybe they become firearms accessory customers. That kind of thing. So that that's been useful. Not that we don't because eyewear it in itself, but I'm, I'm very happy with our eyewear line as a product. I don't like making products where we're not actually bringing value or a value proposition that makes sense to me personally. You know, it always it's just one of the things that we, we always have internally is the would I buy it, you know, kind of test. And if it doesn't pass that, why are we doing it? Uh, and the eyewear certainly passes that muster for me. Um, but, uh, you know, we got, we ended up out of the apparel because it wasn't to that point right there where we were 100% happy. That's what we were getting, but you'll see—you'll see continued. Uh... You did it wrong,
0: Dwayne. You, you had like these nice shirts and things that fit well, and like buttoned-up stuff and like some really quality things. You should have just made a T-shirt with some really cliche writing on it, and uh, and you would have killed it, man. You would have killed it. <laughs> it's a really cliche military three per sheepdog, mull on all the lobbies and and Spartan warrior stuff. You you, you destroyed
1: it. I still
2: uh, I still wear it all of that stuff that uh, I have a stash because I actually like that, that apparel and there's certainly nothing wrong with it. I think that what we're, what changed about it was the, the folks, that we were, were trying to do a, you know, not completely tactical apparel kind of thing yeah. with an accessory company's name on it. And so folks that didn't, you know, if you want to dress as, you know, the quote unquote gray man or whatever you want to call it, just not look like the 511s guy at the store by having the Magpul name on your, belt loop, it kind of, eh, maybe we weren't hitting hitting that uh, appropriately. As far as features and things, I think certainly towards the last season, things were very good. Um, I liked the way we were heading, and I think we had some capability to do some things. But just the amount of energy that that required versus um, doing more stuff in different firearm spaces and potentially other, st- other spaces like knives, uh, I think those made more sense, and so that's where we're at. Uh, we continue to play with things all the time internally. Do a lot of research in various markets where our core competencies are applicable, and uh, we'll continue to do that. It's uh, wherever we think we can bring value in areas where we are uh, have enthusiasm, or uh, you know, a technological, manufacturing, or design capability. Then, you know we'll probably play with some more, some more things. Yeah,
0: I mean, it looks like you're playing with some things right now. I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, building a gun with Zev.
2: That was an interesting uh kind of the way that came about is we always wanted to bring the, the original f m g slash f p g concept uh to market in some way, but it's just it's that's the, the whole it's not our core competency to to take that firearm thing suit to suit some and and release a firearm it's not it's we certainly could do it um but it would have to change the face of how we do a lot of things in order to do that. Uh, and so it's just it kind of backburnered. It was one of those things that we'd love to be able to bring to market. And it's, you know, becoming a, you know, changing it to go into that firearm space also changes the OEM relationships we have with a lot of folks, which we love. We love working with the broad, you know, kind of a range of OEMs that we do. And so we don't want to threaten that by saying, hey, we're going to throw our hat into the, we're making firearms room. Right? Uh, but in this case, yeah, Zeb's making the operating system, the ROZ9 kind of frame became the the departure point for making this a reality. It's not the exact OZ9 frame. You can't take your OZ9 frame and stick it into our chassis to make uh, an FTP or or FEC, but uh, it's a modification of that, uh, and certainly as a a Glock-style operating system with Zev internal. So they're they're producing the entire firearms uh, side of the thing. We're doing the the entire chassis side of things. Uh, The two get melded together and sold as a Zev firearm product. Long time in, uh, in coming. A lot of, lots of folks asking for that one over the years, and uh, we're super happy to be able We all wanted one. I mean, I want two or three, right? But we all wanted this thing to be able to come to life. Uh, it's super neat um, and just happy to be able to do it.
0: There's a lot of folks excited about that. I mean, it, it's cool. And we're getting smaller and smaller with some of these PCCs and this stuff out there and, and backpacks and uh, guns and that kind of thing. It's really becoming a thing a lot more than it was two years ago. So, uh, and, and, I'm I'm guessing you know, if Zeb does it and Magpul does it together, it's going to be something that works. Uh, it's going to be something that actually arrives and we don't talk about for five years. And, uh, you know, which was kind of different in some things in the firearms industry sometimes. I, I want to ask this one because I had a lot of, um, I, I polled a lot of people about, you know, what would you ask about this, you know, in the magazine space? You know, we're kind of jumping all around here, but the, 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 the drum magazine, you know, you, you have your D 50, you have it for a variety of calibers of guns now but you know you, you got your nine millimeter one coming out so we move a lot of drum mags here at gun mag warehouse and then we push them pretty hard we get everything from pro mag to kci you know and there's, there's some of them that i wouldn't totally you know and i'm not bashful about saying hey this isn't for duty but man it's it's a cheap way to have a lot of fun at the range you know like i, I wouldn't go out there you know running my doing entry with this thing in my gun anything like that but, but hey they're they're great for this and that and and if it breaks, they got a great warranty and, you know, a good price point on them. So there there is an application for them But uh my experience so far with your drum line has been uh kind of my the opposite of my experience with uh, a lot of those others as far as the reliability and then I I expect that from magpul You know, I, I think and this reminds me of something uh I made a post a while back, um somebody was asking me about magazines and, and this and that. Because I have, I've actually since I've dealt so much in magazines the last three years Working for Gun Mag, um, I build into my classes a a series about magazines. You know, and and I'm talking about. I I know the problems with all the magazines. I know what comes back in warranty. I I have, I have. I'm in a position probably more so than any trainer out there who has more data on on magazine problems out there. And I made the statement that that I don't recommend Gen M2s for for duty. Now, I didn't qualify that. I didn't add context to that. And the context to that is. Or just a couple dollars more, you can get a, in my opinion, a far superior magazine that doesn't have any of the smaller issues that the Gen M2s do. Because you, you set that bar higher from the Magpul did, right? So the Gen M3 to me is superior. It's not that the Gen M2 isn't duty ready. It's just, why would I put that in my duty kit when I can get this one that I believe is a far superior magazine? And a lot of military testing has proved that. So it's, uh, that, that's kind of my, my qualification that, that I left out of that. So I'm seeing that same thing, you know, you raised the bar with, with the D 50. So, you know, what, what really sets you apart? Like, what do you, what do you think you're, what are you doing different? You know, that that's making this work where others have, have failed in the reliability standpoint.
2: Yeah. Everything, um, geometry and friction, uh, really are the two things that, uh, that set a drum, apart from anything else. And and really all magazines. I mean, the reality of the situation is the easiest thing to do is to push something in a straight line with the spring, right? Uh, And as soon as you start deviating from that in any way, or you stack stack two beside each other, now the stack has to be perfect. Otherwise you add transverse pressures, which increase your friction. If you get a two into one transition in a pistol mag, that creates all kinds of friction problems, right? And in a drum magazine, you have a crazy situation in which you're trying to make uh, things go in a circle. Uh, And so it's all about the geometry of the coil, right, or the, the the cartridge feed path, as it were. Balancing spring tension, contact points, and that geometry with uh, minimizing uh, the amount of friction there. And, and the challenge there also is the spring pressure that you're using to feed it. I mean, the solution you would think, well, I'll just crank up the spring, right? The friction that way, or I'll crank up the spring pressure for pressure and deal with. It. Um, non-optimal geometry, but the, the problem is you then actually increase the frictional forces that are working against it, and so now you get a big disparity in the presentation force that supported the first cartridge vice the last cartridge, and it becomes, uh, you know, now you have a trouble with consistency, um, and now your, your spring force changes so drastically over the course of the, you know the length through the magazine, or you get into a situation where you just can't contain that kind of spring force that's required to overcome it, uh and it's just as soon as you add grit to any of those situations if you're overcoming your problem with spring force instead of by uh, using correct geometry and, and minimizing frictional contact points and using appropriate points to guide the cartridges now when you add grit to it it compounds the problem because you your your, your transverse pressures and your pressures off axis go through the roof and that if the, any grit just makes that go crazy and the thing locks up like Nobody's business, and that was one of the biggest challenges we had. Is we said, look, we're gonna make if we're gonna make a. We didn't set out to make drum magazines. We set out to make a solution that was greater than forty rounds, um, and it was the it was military reliable, so we could pass the you know silica sil dust tests um, <clears> that that are common in the O three O two O four five. So. That's what we set out with, and we we, we have quad stack uh, IP from years back, and we looked at a bunch of that, and on, honestly, there's just the, the, the things required to make those two things come together. Extremely difficult to do in a duty, durable, and reliable uh, situation, especially with grit and drops and handling. So we ended up, you know, we think we can do a drum. Uh, and I thought it was crazy at, at first because like my experience was similar to your experience with drums. I think they're, you know, they're fantastically fun. Uh, there's certainly an application for them, but I didn't know a single one that was actually, yep. And, uh, so we set out on that road and said, like, no, I think we can do it. And so, um, uh, we got some smart folks. Yeah. The, the geometry was just right. Um, balanced those uh, contact points and guide points spring pressure uh, and, you know, the mechanism up top, the, the cartridge path in the tower is extremely critical to how things uh, work with that. Uh, which side you feed off of is uh, is important as well. A lot of little, little tiny things that add up to make something that actually passes military dust tests. And, you know, you can run 15,000 rounds without a single stoppage through this drum. And it's the same kind of thing we've done with, with every magazine that we need for duty. And to your point, you know, that the M2 is absolutely was the most reliable polymer magazine on the planet until the Gen M3 game. Yeah, I agree. It's still far more reliable than just about anything else you can put in the gun, but there's some little things that we wanted to improve on. And the Gen M3, we think we hit on all those things. It's the same kind of thing with, uh, you know, the drum. If we'd have made a drum 10 years ago, would it be what... You know what the the D sixty D fifty and you know, the whole D fifty series would they be what they were probably not I don't think we had the capability at that point but uh, we've learned a lot about uh, geometry as well as um, you know what uh, what makes a rifle feed the way it needs to be.
0: That's good info. I mean that's they're a little bit higher price point than some of the other drums out there but they're a lot higher value. I mean you're none of these other ones. I'll go ahead and tell you straight out. And maybe there may be some of these brands that get mad at me if they listen to this, you know, but, uh, none of them are going to pass any military dust test. Like it's just, they, they usually don't pass Jim from, from, from Oregon on his farm test, you know, but it's, but I will say they, they do have great warranties and they, they usually, they always take care of them. But you know, a warranty when you're, you are doing range stuff, warranties are awesome. When you're doing life and death stuff, you need, you need reliability and quality, right? And, and it's okay to pay a little bit more for that because, uh, it's worth it. I mean I I'm not I'm not a big hardware guy going, I like I, I I don't usually know what the barrel's made of of that thing. And somebody like, did you see this new gun? I'm like probably not. Like I, I care about the software's integration with the hardware. Uh the problem solving, the the getting the getting better, getting faster uh thinking and at the same time and, and applying fundamentals. So it's like that those are the things that, that I care about. My gear, I don't wanna have to think about is it going to fail or is going to have the bushel level. So and that usually ends up me spending a bit more money. On the stuff that, that I don't have to ever add any extra mental bandwidth over to that, that equipment. It's all about. All right. Uh, I'm getting close to the end here with you. I know you can't tell me all your, your secrets and uh, everything you're working on. And I I won't even ask that because I know what the answer will be. But if we look back in the last five years where Magpul was, or even 10 years where Magpul was, and then, you know, we look going forward. And then we take into account a year like we just had. I know you had an amazing year. You know we had to make the whole farms industry did. Typically, we see when we have these amazing years, they're followed up by heavy innovation. We see uh, we see those busy years. Sometimes there's a little bit less innovation because they're just so busy trying to crank out the high demand. But then some of that money gets put somewhere else, and something pops up. And you know, this year, it's shot show time frame. I guess we can't call it Ed Shot Show. We haven't seen tons of new stuff, but that's been one of the complaints for a while about a lack of innovation because either we were like dead and not getting much business in the gun world or it was just booming. There hasn't really been an in-between like figuring out new stuff for a bit. Well, How do you anticipate this next year? We're thinking there's going to be a high demand, a lot of spikes, a lot of ups and downs, you know, with different people say different things and, and different things go to committee and things like that and how much the fight for the Second Amendment increases and ebbs and flows and all that. Um how do you think you know for Magpul, but also as the farmers industry as a whole, as far as you know, new problem solving products, something that's really going to move us forward, just in the terms of products, not just uh, uh, you know guns or anything. That's could be anything.
2: Well, I really wish I had a crystal. Yeah, out. I mean, some executive orders that uh, that change the landscape of what we're able to do fairly soon. We could see some changing regulations. We could see you know there's a bunch of things that are there legislation. We're certainly on top of that. Uh, you know we're, we're 100% uh, tuned into anything that's going on in a legislative fashion. We're working uh, to stop the magazine ban in, in Washington. There's some bills in Virginia that are working up, and certainly on the national level, there's a bunch of stuff that's been filed. We'll see what ends up on the floor. Paying very close attention to how the operating agreement shakes out in the Senate, which uh, you know determines since right now it looks like um, they're not going to have uh, the votes or the will necessarily to change the filibuster rule. As long as that occurs, we need 60 votes from the Senate. That gives us a pretty good chance to be able to fight off uh, legislative uh, uh, additional constrictions, uh, unconstitutional restrictions on the Second Amendment, as it were. But uh, so, if crystal ball, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't. I, I, there's a lot of things that could could change those dynamics. Uh, polling is going to be a big one. There's eight and a half million new gun owners uh, in the United States. And how they're going to shake out on uh, on polling on these issues could change the face of how a lot of these folks uh, respond when anti gun legislation comes up in uh, in committee or on, onto the floor, certainly. So, and that's the big thing that we got to keep an eye on. Um, the other stuff- is that a focus for you on the you know your your lobbying
0: side, and uh, you're still uh, NRA board of directors, correct?
1: Uh, actually, I'm
0: not on the board of directors anymore. Okay, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, that. But your, your lobbying side and, and all that stuff, are you seeing a lot of uh, effort going into educating these new gun owners and you know getting them involved? Because that's one of the things that we totally fell at. And this is probably that conversation for the future for the other podcast, but we can tease it a little bit, I guess. We're, we're either got the people who are kind of polite and really quiet and don't even get involved or they're just like they don't even present an argument or uh, an intelligent conversation or any anything that that would maybe sway someone's thinking to, because it's my right you know and like, like we we have to do a bit more than that you know there was a preacher a long time ago i remember i grew up in a baptist church man i never missed a service in north carolina right like that's the way it was It so, didn't have a tv in my house like it, it was because those were sinners and, and like that's uh, that's how i grew up and uh a preacher said uh he's like you got to gently spread the gospel you know and i remember that and i apply it to to other things you know and life I'm like that makes sense like gently like i'm not i'm not over here like cramming it down somebody's throat with fire and brimstone because it's my right you know and this and that like, like you can articulate that like there's there's few things on this planet that mean more to me to, than my right to defend myself and my family and those things are my family you know it's it's uh it's a top for me but i have to express that especially to the new gun owners who who maybe they're they're like wow i saw these things happening and I've had many students, and I know you spend a lot of time in, in the training world and everything else too. You, I'm sure you've seen many people talk to me, people who who came to their first class and bought a gun because they were in a closet with a tennis racket when somebody was in their house. They they were they were raped. They were beaten. Something happened, and they just they had never felt that helpless in their life. And after that, they said, "I will never feel this way again. I can. I will never feel like I can't protect my family or myself again. And I'm going to do something about it. And choose a gun. They don't know all the right words. They don't know." What things are called. They don't know the terminology. And, you know, like accepting them is something that's been, you know, it's always been important to me. Like, new shooters, I love new shooters. Uh, I despise when somebody makes fun of a guy because he called a thing a clip. You know, who cares what things are called? And, like, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Are you seeing a lot of effort going into that? Is it enough, you think, so far? That's a lot of people.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a lot of folks, and I think uh, you know some of those some of those folks we may be able to reach. Some of them maybe are actually ideologically opposed to the idea of firearms ownership and just bought one because <laughs> right doesn't apply to me. Time, but they you know, I'm certain there's a few of those folks that would be more than happy if sh- that somebody snapped their fingers and all guns disappeared, which is you know it's fantasy fairy tales, and not a world I'd want to live in anyway. But the uh, the bottom line is I think that uh, there's a couple of problems that are facing us uh, as a firearms community with. When it comes to new firearms owners, and I've seen some really great outreach out there, we try to do some uh, as well, like so you bought your first AR, so you bought your you know your home defense shotgun, things like that. A bunch of great um, entry level training and safety stuff that that I think has I've seen a big increase in over this past year. Mm-hmm. The, the new firearms owners, and there's some you know great programs out of that have been in existence for years. NSSF Project Child Safe, and you know the, the Eddie the Eagle stuff for when there's firearms in the home with uh, with children to educate the kids and as well as for the adult education. So all those things, I think resources are there and uh, I've seen a lot of people step up. I also, you know, there's to your point, we can be divisive as a community, which I don't think really helps us a lot. Um, We get argumentative amongst amongst ourselves uh, in a way that I don't think is productive for the overall movement and can be intimidating to a new firearms owner trying to come into the community. That's one of the things I try to be completely understanding with, with folks. Now there's um i don 't necessarily tolerate um argumentative uh things where there's somebody that you know is is uninformed and wants to force that opinion you know but but convicted in their opinion uninformed but convicted in their opinion. right
0: <laughs> very loud and very wrong at the same time yeah
2: yes yes so that so that is something that you need to counter but there's you know there 's a man a, wait to a minute when i when I do things like that or I publicly i address something like that or uh you know even in a in a class it's like I may be at a point where this person I'm not going to reach this person, this person may have their mind complete yep anybody else that reads this comment or hears my voice or or how I'm addressing this, those are the people that you're probably influencing at that point when you have a rational and a clear and a cogent uh you know explanation for things uh so that's that's the way I look at that, and that's the way I think we should look at a lot of things out there and it's it's okay to inform without being um elitist or, or anything like that. So I think there's a, a there's a methodology there. And the other side of it is we we get in this some of these people may not be the most uh you know, they may not be uh the, the whole mole on the bay kind of side of things right now. They may need some some understanding to yep. to get to that point. And it's so ideological purity is a place that I absolutely live on a daily basis. So like I there's, I don't think you could get more ideologically strictly adherent to the ideas and the principles espoused in the, the protections of the Second Amendment of my natural God-given right to self-defense and firearms ownership.
1: But in, when we
2: talk to folks, like you said, you can't use the hammer. You know, you, at the very best, sometimes maybe you can use the velvet hammer, right? Uh, it's got to be a little soft around the edges. And there's a difference in persuasiveness. Uh, you know, a persuasive argument is very rarely, you know, a shovel Mm -hmm. in the face. Uh, to be able to get somebody to, you know, just to understand where somebody's mindset is, to be able to get into that space and dissect what their misgivings or misunderstandings are in a way that seems helpful rather than extremely confrontational, uh, I think is valuable. And it takes a lot of time. Uh, it's not, it's not an easy thing. It's certainly easier to say, you know, the hell with you because, you're, you don't you don't believe in in mail order uh, bell fed uh, suppressed machine guns. So it's like, which um, is I think a great platform for if I would ever run for office. Which i
0: I love it. Right, well, let's do it. <laughs> we're gonna. Have, what you're saying is we're gonna have to have some empathy, you know, because there's people who genuinely don't know, but they're not against us. You know, they just don't know, and and we've been attacked so much that. We're just constantly defensive, man. We got our guard up. We're we're ready to go. And if we hear like one term or one thing, they don't focus on the point right there. They're busy explaining why they don't agree with the term assault weapon or why they don't – why they're not calling things the right way. So they're – we end up resorting to the – uh, ad hominems, you know, and, and because we think we're being attacked, when really this person just doesn't know how to communicate with us. He doesn't know how to speak our language. You know, we're we're kind of an anchor point.
1: To any of the
2: the logic that actually has gotten us to arrive at the positions that we've arrived at, and some people are are, are open to that, and some people are not. Uh, and it's but like it like I said, it's like choosing it, picking and choosing um, where where I don't say battles, but. Where you express your time or spend your time explaining, because you know that that one advocate, if you if you can explain those arguments uh, and those reasons, and and unpack why somebody feels the way they feel about you know quote unquote assault weapons or magazine capacity or whatever it is, it's like, well, I support the Second Amendment, but those people, right? Yep. Where I support the, I I own a gun, but if you can if you can unpack why they feel uh, the way they feel. And, and provide some good, uh, principled, and supported arguments. Not arguments, arguments as in, you know, I'm going to get confrontational with you. But, you know, take the time to explain things. Yeah, counterpoint, your reasoning. Yeah,
1: you don't have
2: to be any softer in your stance in the Second Amendment in order to have that conversation. Um, that I, I I have conversations with people like that, and it certainly doesn't mean that because I'm not telling them to go to heck and, you know, I, you're a— this or that and call them names, but then they're like, Oh, geez, the gun community really is, is kind of hostile. Uh, you may lose that person and I don't want to lose that person. I
1: want to lose yep. the remember
2: is for everyone. Um, it is extremely important whether you, whether people realize it or not, uh, to the, you know, continued existence in this nation, uh, and the peril that it's in even. Um, but, uh, it, and they may not realize that and they'll never will realize that if we come at them confrontationally. Uh, Instead of in a, in, a, in a rational and explanatory, now and some people, like I said, think you're not going to get there. You're not going to have a, a, an intelligent discussion with Shannon Watts and change Shannon Watts. Not going to happen. Yep. But, but, exchange, might. Yep. That's
0: who you're talking to. Everybody else watching. But I, since I started this podcast in uh, I think 2007, it was under the, the name Gunfighter Cast for many years until we moved it under the Gun Mag umbrella. I've had more messages and more emails and more more listener interaction people from the left liberals than i have you know regular people and they, they're always usually like hey i really appreciate you. you're not coming on here talking about the president you're not here talking about this and that you're not talking about blah 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 like you're you're talking about defense and gun stuff and you know the second amendment issues but not political in the slightest there are a lot of uh of left-leaning uh gun owners out there i mean heck as far as social and personal stuff i'm i'm quite left i'm, I'm all about leaving people alone like individual liberty is the Pinnacle, right, like that's that's, I don't care what you're doing, just leave me alone. Right, it's uh uh you know then, you know very conservative on the fiscal side. Stop wasting my money and leave me alone is kind of my favorite. So there's a there's a lot of people out there, and people don't understand that. It's like you got to be either one way or not. And uh and there's a lot of a lot of people out there who who may vote differently than us on on certain issues, but Second Amendment still matters to them. And but they really they're even worse than us in their circles that they walk in. They can't be vocal like we can. They're not a lot they won't they won't be accepted by their groups. Cool. It becomes a difficult
2: situation for them to even express that or have a conversation with anyone, uh certainly in, in, in a lot of their circles. And so taking the time to, to try and explain uh in a rational and calm fashion usually is uh, uh it's it's in our best interest. Absolutely yeah. is. More people can get pushing in the same direction, even if it's, you know, only you know, maybe that person, then there's a conversation or something where the, you know, you know, just a slight comment where somebody makes some complete anti-gun sentiment and then they they decide that, okay, this was one that I'm going to, I'll provide some kind of counter to that, even though they don't want to stick their neck out too far. But that's, that's how we do it. It's a cultural thing, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of places where you just, you, you're, you can't talk about guns right now. Um, it, like if you walked into um, uh any of the any place in the in the you know tech industry in San Francisco and wanted to have a conversation about firearms, I don't think that that would be very welcome in the workplace that kind of thing right and that that's what we need to change you know we've changed we've taken the whole idea of you know we don't teach firearm safety in school we don't have rifle teams and things in, in most of the schools who do have some some scholastic trap uh, programs and now some you know scholastic uh, pistol programs sportsman's challenge things like that uh which I think is fantastic, but in a lot of schools they you know, that's rural Texas, right? Mm-hmm. It's
1: not um
2: it's not Chicago. Um and I think you know, firearms education, at the very least, firearms safety education is is something that we should we should have that conversation everywhere, right? That should be a part of curriculum. Just
0: I agree. And bleeding control and how to manage money, right? <laughs> like, like there's there's tons of things. How to not get a high interest student loan, you know, like yeah. Like these are things that we can address we always like going after symptoms and not actually the real problems. Dwayne, I, I really appreciate it. I liked a lot of this that we're talking about right here. I I would love to have, you know, more of your time in the future if you could join me and we could dive into a lot of this cuz I you always have a very you know, I wouldn't I can't say unique, but your the way you articulate it, your your perspectives, um it's very gentle and uh and and authoritative at the same time. And uh and I appreciate that. You know, it, it comes across I, what I'm saying is, I think you're you're a good example of how we should be communicating with people on the outside that maybe aren't totally in, but they have one foot in, uh, and also within the farms industry where we tend to like to eat our own, you know, rather than rather than right. protecting each other. But at the same time, that's a whole other conversation too. In my training world, um, I'm not a fan of eating our own. I don't don't I don't talk bad about anybody else, you know. Um, but there are times where I believe we need to use peer pressure to fix problems. I think that's that's better done behind closed doors uh then than publicly, but uh sometimes it needs to be back. So uh well until then, Dwayne, thank you for
1: joining me. Always a pleasure. And uh guys until next time, the Maglife out.